today we're going to continue the series on repentance from dead works. And in this particular section, we're looking at the fact that we have been freed from sin and how it is possible for the believer to walk in that place where they can walk free from sin. For we saw in previous teachings that when we're born again, that the old man dies and the Apostle Paul, or the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, teaches us that we have in fact died to sin. And so because we've died to sin, we can now walk in righteousness. So there's three areas we want to touch on today. And that is that we have to exercise the fruit of self-control. If we want to walk in this place where we can walk free from sin, don't forget that this doctrine is called repentance from dead works. And we saw that our dead works, in fact, is sin. And so the doctrine can be referred to as repentance from sin and thus walking in righteousness. We're to repent towards God, we repent, we're to repent to walking in righteousness. The second area we want to look at today is uh, the fact that we need to walk in the Spirit. And we've dealt very extensively thus far on explaining the difference between the flesh of the believer and the Spirit of the believer. And so we've obviously seen that walking in the Spirit is really um, where the Christian needs to be walking if they are going to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. And then finally, we want to look at uh, three examples in Scripture um, of uh, individuals that, in fact, have set the example to the church as to how to walk in righteousness, walk free from sin and walk in the Spirit. And so opening up with today's section, we want to deal firstly with the fact that we need to exercise self-control. And the self-control that we need to exercise uh, pertains to the fruit of the Spirit. And the scripture we pick it up in is in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 24. There are nine specific fruit of the Spirit that is mentioned by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul in this passage of scripture. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so the fruit of the Spirit that it's referring to here is the fruit of the born-again human spirit. It's not the fruit of the Holy Spirit, although the divine nature encompasses all of this fruit as well, because this is um, the nature of God we're speaking about. For God is um, love. The scripture is very plain about that. Scripture says God is love. The very first fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of love. And so uh, this is the, the divine nature that we partake of when we're born again. Now again, we've, um, I've mentioned already the fact of being fruit uh, gives us a very clear indication as to how this, these characteristics are displayed in the life of the believer. It does not happen overnight. Fruit always takes time to be produced. From the point, from the time that the seed is sown until the time that the fruit is produced on the tree, there's a, a, a lengthy period of time that, uh, between those two um, points in time. Seed sown, fruit produced. And so we must not uh, become impatient about this. In fact, one of the fruits of the Spirit Spirit is in fact long-suffering, which uh, can also be translated as, as being patient. But the fact is, is that that fruit needs to be produced in the life of the believer. If the believer is going to walk 
uh, free from sin and walk in righteousness. Because um, we've very plainly stated that sin in the believer resides in their flesh. And their flesh, given free reign, will always want to walk in sin. It loves to argue, it loves to envy, it loves to get into strife. It loves all of that, those practices. That's all it knows, that's all it wants to do. It's the only capacity it has. And so we're to bring that under control. We're to bring our flesh under control. Now we can do that through this particular fruit called the fruit of self-control. And so it is very important for believers to learn to grow strong spiritually. And to, our Lord said it this way, He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And we cannot produce fruit. The branch cannot produce fruit unless it abides in the vine. And so we're to abide in Christ. And as we do, we will produce much fruit. And part of the fruit that we produce is this fruit of self-control. So the, the stronger we become spiritually, um, as we grow in the things of God, the, the stronger that, we're, the more of the fruit of self-control we can produce. And thus we're able to more easily bring the flesh under control. Um, the, well, the Apostle Paul, in, in teaching about righteousness, links it very clearly to self-control at the same time. In Acts chapter 24, verse 24 to 25, he, he speaks about the subject. And he says, the scripture says, And after some days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Felix was a, a, a Gentile governor, and Paul was in prison at the time. Verse 25, Now as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. And so very clearly, uh, um, the Apostle Paul, when he spoke, taught on the subject of righteousness, he linked it to the subject of self-control. Because it is impossible for one to walk as believers, to walk in righteousness, unless they exercise self-control. Why is that? Because the flesh is wanting to walk in sin. And so, unless we bring that flesh under control, we'll not walk in righteousness, we will walk in sin. But when we bring that flesh under control, we are now free to walk in righteousness. And so, the, the two go hand in hand. That um, if we're going to repent from dead works and repent toward God, if we're going to repent from sin and repent toward righteousness, and we're going to walk in righteousness, we're going to have to exercise self-control. Now that self-control is a fruit of our born-again spirit. It has to grow. And so we have to feed our spirits. We, there's, I, I do a series on growing strong spiritually. And so it's, it's so important for Christians to grow strong in spirit so that they can have this fruit of self-control and thus bring their flesh under control. Baby Christians struggle in this area. And we saw Paul in the, uh, one of the previous teachings describing his dilemma that he was in when he was first in the kingdom of God. And that he said, according to the inward man, he delighted after the law of God, but he found himself uh, committing sin because of the sin that was in his members. And so all baby Christians struggle around this area. Now, why is that? The reason being is because their, their spirits are still weak and they're not producing 
this fruit of self-control in any great abundance. And so as long as they remain in that state, they will always struggle with their Christian walk. The flesh will always dominate their lifestyle. They will still find themselves losing their tempers years after coming to the kingdom of God. They will still be arguing about things. They will still be getting into envy and to strife and divisions. Why? Because their flesh remains strong and their spirits remain weak. So it's so important for all Christians to grow strong in the spirit so that this one particular fruit, obviously all of the fruit is essential, but the one fruit that is required in order to keep the flesh under control is this fruit of self-control. And that is what we need to develop in our Christian walk. Um, 1 Corinthians 7.5 gives us a little bit more insight into this um, area of self-control. The Apostle Paul writing to uh, couples, uh, who are married couples, he says, Do not deprive one another except for consent for a time. He's talking about intimacy between a husband and a wife. That why? That you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. And then he goes on to say, and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you. Why? Because of your lack of self-control. And so the Apostle Paul recognized that Christians that were not strong in uh, their spirits, in other words, they, were, couldn't, they weren't walking in a strong fruit of self-control. They had a lack of self-control. He recognized that Satan could use that to tempt those believers into committing sin. And here he's actually talking about the sin of adultery because he's talking about intimacy between a husband and wife. And he says, after you've given yourself over to prayer and fasting, you need to come together again. Otherwise, Satan will use the fact that you are not being intimate anymore to tempt you into committing sin of adultery. And he said, Satan can do that because of the, the Christian's lack of self-control. So he's kind of telling us that a Christian who, who has strong self-control, the, the temptation becomes that much harder for Satan to, to bring to bear on that Christian's life because they're able to keep their flesh under control um, and not give in to fleshly desires. And so it's so important for all believers to develop the fruit of self-control. Now that we don't just develop the fruit of self-control, we grow strong in spirit. And as we do, our spirits produce all of the nine fruit of the spirit automatically. A tree never strives to produce fruit. It just abides in the soil and eats up the nourishment and drinks up the nourishment of the soil and the water. And God gives the increase and the fruit produces um, automatically after a period of time. And that's why Jesus said, you have to abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. And you will not bear much fruit unless you abide in me. So it's incumbent upon the Christian to abide in Christ and allow God to give us increase. There's pruning that will take place as well. But eventually uh, fruit will be produced, the fruit of the Spirit, and much fruit will be produced. And so when the Christian is producing much fruit of self-control, as I say, it becomes a much easier for the Christian to keep their flesh under control. The Apostle Paul, who probably was one of the most spiritual believers that the church has ever known, outside of our Lord, obviously, um, he, because I've, I've said this again as before as well, the flesh never goes away. The only time we uh, stop having 
to deal with the flesh is when we physically die and our spirits depart to be with Christ. Then we don't have the flesh to contend with anymore. But as long as we are on this planet dwelling in these bodies, we will always have the flesh that we have to contend with. And so even the Apostle Paul, who was very strong in spirit, had great uh, fruit of self-control, he still had to exercise that self-control. He, he, you know, he, he never reached a plateau where the flesh was not an issue in his life anymore. No, it remained an issue that he had to keep under control all of his life. And he talks about it in 1 Corinthians 9.27. He says, But I discipline my body and bring it what into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. And so Paul recognized that that's where he, he's the one who taught us the principle. Obviously, he got it from the Holy Spirit. That that's where the sin resides in our bodies. And so Paul said, I, I, I discipline my body and I keep it in, into subjection. Lest, he said, because he said, if I don't do that, then I run the risk of this. Lest after, after preaching to others, guys, this is how you should live. I myself should become disqualified. In other words, he would now get off into sin because he didn't keep his body under and his flesh would then dominate, dominate his life and he would then become disqualified in his Christian walk. And so, as I say, even the Apostle Paul had to consistently keep his body under, keep his flesh under control. And so it's so important for us as believers to walk in this fruit of self-control and that, and that takes time to develop that fruit but unless we give ourselves over to growing strong spiritually the, the flesh of the believer will always dominate their walk not their spirits because their spirits will remain spiritually weak and little fruit produced there but the stronger we grow in spirit the easier doesn't become completely the case that we now uh, we no longer have problems with the flesh it just becomes that much easier to control the flesh, but it still needs to be done. Now, there's a couple of sayings in the church that try and deal with this aspect, and they are very nice-sounding statements, but they are religious in nature, and they're not biblical. And because they're religious in nature and not biblical, uh, God doesn't get involved with it. Because don't forget, we're, we're talking about the power of God. We're saying that we cannot walk in righteousness unless God enables us to do that. Now we have all, every believer has been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But it is one thing to be made the righteousness of God, it is entirely something else to walk in that righteousness. And that's what we are dealing with in today's topic, is how to walk in righteousness, how to walk free from sin. And so the two statements that are made in the church that you hear very often, are the one is that we must die to self. Uh, you hear that very often, uh, quoted all over. People keep saying, we need to die to self. Now, there's no place in Scripture that talks about that, that we need to die to self. Our Lord Jesus taught us that we need to deny ourselves. And so you, the, the terminology to die to oneself, if you go and, the reason that people say that is because they recognize there's something there that, that is hindering their Christian walk. And because they don't understand the difference between the spirit and the flesh, they talk about themselves. And so they need to die to themselves so that they can now live for Christ. Well, the, as I say, the scripture doesn't teach us that at all. The scripture says we need to deny ourselves. Now, what that, we've dealt with it already. 
the denying of ourselves is denying our fleshly desires. And that's where um, Peter talks about it in his epistle. He said that he who has ceased from sin, he who has suffered in the flesh, sorry, has ceased from sin. And so it's not dying to oneself, it's denying oneself. When I say oneself, that's also not the right terminology. It's dying to the desires. Now I've got myself mixed up here. Denying the desires of the flesh. Keeping the flesh under control. And so we cannot die to self. Because we have already did. Our old man has already died. Can't die again. The new man has come. The new man, the new self, has to grow. And so we don't die to self. We deny the flesh and we grow in spirit. And we become stronger in spirit. That Now God can, can get involved because we're doing it His way. But if we go around and we pray to God, God, I need to die to self, die to self, die to self. Um, God's going to say, but you, know, you really have. Your old man has died. So what are you going to die to now? And so there's no such thing in Scripture as dying to self. It sounds very good, but those same Christians who keep saying that years later are still struggling with sin in their lives. Why? Because God's not involved. Because they're not doing what God said do. God said, grow strong in spirit. And God said, deny your flesh and keep it under control. That's what you have to do. Now then you'll get, it, uh, you'll get it right. But to keep praying, God, I need to die to self, and keep saying, I need to die to self. Well, God sits in heaven. He says, well, I can't help you because there's nothing that... If, if you die to self, this, the self that you are is in fact a born-again believer. To die to self would mean to lose your salvation. So God's not going to help you on this issue. That's the one uh, statement that you hear in the church very often. As I say, it's a nice sounding statement. It carries absolutely no power to it at all. No transformation takes place for those Christians that keep trying to die to self. The other thing that you hear Christians say all the time is, he must increase and I must decrease. Again, a very nice religious sounding statement, but it carries no power. Why? Because there's nothing there that is scriptural. What those Christians, again, they recognize, there's something in them that is sinful in nature. Um, and so they want that to go away. And they want Jesus to come forward and be made manifest through them. Well, as we said, the flesh is not going to go away. It cannot go away because the only way it goes away is when we leave the body behind. So the flesh remains. And the flesh doesn't get weaker. There's nothing in Scripture that says the flesh gets weaker. The, flesh, the Bible does teach us that the spirit can get stronger. That's what can happen. But there's nothing in Scripture that says our flesh gets weaker or, or, or decreases. There's absolutely nothing in Scripture that, do, that says that. Now what these people do, again, as I say, they recognize that there's something there that's sinful and they want that to go away. Now, that sinful part, we, we understand the Scripture says that's the flesh. It doesn't go away. It's not going to decrease. Never will, until such a time as it actually does drop down dead. Then it goes away. But what they do is they take John's statement, John the Baptist. He made the comment. He's the one who said, because they came to John, they said, uh, uh, Master, do you know that he whom you witnessed about, he's baptizing more than what we're baptizing. And John, in response to that, says, he must increase and I must decrease. Now, what John was actually referring to was the two different ministries. The ministry of John was drawing to a close at that time and was thus decreasing. The ministry of Jesus was beginning at that time and thus increasing. And so John was doing the comparative between those two ministries. 
He wasn't talking, it wasn't a, a statement that Christians can get a hold of and bring over into the Christian walk and then say, well now Jesus must increase in me and I must decrease. Because again, it's a nice sounding religious statement, but it actually carries no power to it because it, there's nothing that God can work with in that. Because you were saying to God, God, let Jesus increase in me and let me decrease. And God's saying, but I've made you in the image of my son. I, mean, I need you to increase. Uh, you need to be conformed into the image of my son. And so, you know, your spirit needs to get stronger. What am I going to decrease? I can't decrease anything in you. Um, and and they, 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 they don't realize that they're asking God to decrease their flesh because they don't, they don't recognize the flesh as such. And so... God's sitting up in heaven and he's saying, yeah, I'd like to help you guys out, but you're actually not praying to me in any way that I can answer you because you're asking me to do something that I cannot do. I cannot decrease your flesh because that's where the problem lies and God can't do that. He tells us what to do with the flesh. He says, you guys keep it under control. I've given you that ability. And then in order to do that, you need to increase. The fruit of the Spirit must increase in your life. So to God, ask God, please let Jesus increase in me and let me decrease. As I say, it sounds nice, but it's a religious statement. It carries no power to it, and God can't get involved with it. So, you know, the scripture is very plain. If we just stick to what the Bible teaches us and work with that and pray around that, well, now God gets involved, and now we can see the power of God released in our lives. And we can now begin to exercise the fruit of self-control. And so that's really where we need to get to as Christians. We need to, and then it never stops. As long as we're on this planet, uh, Paul said, I keep my body under and I bring it into subjection. Meaning he did it all the time. Um, you know, at five o'clock in the morning, Paul was not wanting to get out of bed and start praying. No, his body wanted to stay in and sleep a, lot, a bit longer. And so that's... The kind of lifestyle. When Paul fasted, the body cried out for food. I want food. And Paul kept his body in control. And so that's what we have to do.